to, uh, to deliver God's Word. And it's a great pleasure to meet you, particularly to meet uh, people from an evangelical free church, since I'm a graduate of, of Trinity. Uh, and, uh, and I was just thinking, well, how did, how did Pastor Holmquist get my name, first of all? <laughs> so he, but he got it from, the, I think, the Eastern District, the Eastern District office. And I know both uh, Pastor Johnson, who used to be on, on, as well as Pastor Eddie Cole, and I know uh, Pastor Roy Larson, so I know all those guys. But, uh, uh, but it's uh, good to be here and to deliver God's word uh, to you. Uh, we live in Freehold. Anyone know who free, where Freehold is? Okay. It's the seatbed, the hotbed of Monmouth County. Okay, so we're uh, uh, only uh, a, a few minutes from the shore, so that's not too bad, uh, but uh, uh, we lived there. We used to live, before that, we used to live in Bergen County, and the, the last uh, pit stop out of New, New Jersey is Mawa. That's where we used to live. So uh, we used to live right near Route 17, if you're familiar with that area. So, uh, but uh, uh, good to be here, and uh, you know, one of the things I should share with you is that I don't know where I got my last name of uh, fun. Okay, I, I asked my parents to explain it to me a long time ago, and they explained it, and I still couldn't understand where we got that. But uh, and I, I jokingly say, well, I, I should have been a, Ch uh, a Chan or a Wong, which would have been easier to spell and pronounce. But I'm a second-generation American-born Chinese. Uh, in, our, in, our, in our jargon, we would call them, they would call me an ABC, American-born Chinese. That's part of what, some of the lingo that they use. Uh, but uh, uh, I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, Motor City. Uh, I, was, I grew up in the heyday of Motown, if you're familiar with that music. And, uh, and so uh, most of my friends growing up were not Chinese. I went to a Chinese church there, uh, but most of my friends growing up in school were non-Chinese. They were mostly black and white. And uh, so it took me a long time to figure out who I was because I was sort of what I would call marginal, you know, sort of in between, couldn't figure what my identity was. And, uh, you know, eventually I, f I figured out that I was a, a Chinese American, but then, you know, I'm not really all that Chinesey. <laughs> uh, you know, my, my, my Chinese is really bad. You can ask my wife, it's just bad. The only thing I can do is order in a Chinese restaurant, you know, and just point, just point at the menu kind of thing, so, so I won't starve to death there, but, uh, uh, but uh, uh, I was born and raised in, in uh, Michigan, and, uh, and uh, so, uh, uh, but growing up, it took me a while to figure out who I was. I don't know about for some of you, but maybe we think we know who we are, you know, our identity. And certainly there's this big thing in, in, in political circles today, identity politics and that sort of thing. And I think for me, it's, it's trying to figure out who I am. Uh, am I Chinese, American, uh, uh, a hybrid of the two? Uh, what does that look like? And I, I believe that in today's culture, to, uh, in today's church, many people, especially Christians, don't really know who they are. They may think they know who they are, and they can say that they can espouse that they're Christians, but you know, my question to them, as well as back to myself, is are we really living like Jesus Christ? 
You know, we call ourselves Christians, and, and we can uh, say we're Christians, we can do the right things, give money to, to, to help the church, to the poor, the needy. We can uh, go attend Sunday school classes, Bible study groups, uh, fellowship groups, attend worship service, and so forth, even serve in the church. But that does not make you automatically a Christian. Any more than me walking into McDonald's and thinking that I'm a Happy Meal. Okay? It doesn't automatically follow. So the idea is that, 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 uh, that my challenge for us today is as we look at this passage in 1 John 5, uh, we see that it really, really strikes at the heart of, of our identity. And we see here in this passage that uh, John has, uh, has written, uh, really, it's a, it's a follow-up to his gospel. Remember in his gospel, that the, the, uh, particularly in John 20, verse 31, that John says there that, uh, that these things might be written, that you might believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and you might have life through his name. And really the summary of that book, uh, and, and certainly, that, certainly that's the key verse of the Gospel of John. Here in, in the letters of John, particularly the first letter, he emphasizes two things. He emphasizes God is light and God is love. And that's important. Why? Not just because of who God is, but it should reflect on who we are. You see, if God is light and God is love, and we're serious about following Jesus Christ, and I, my big thing, and one of the things I'll be doing uh, certainly at the, the church in New York City, is, uh, is uh, building a discipleship program as well as evangelism and, and, and leadership development, is that, uh, that, that Jesus Christ is to be followed and that we are to emulate him. It is not just to know his, uh, you know, his, uh, his message, his uh, methods and all that, but we need to be following the model of Jesus Christ. And, and so we see here that John is, uh, is picking up on that idea. And we see here, just if you were to study this passage in a Bible study, you should pick out one word that, that strikes you, that's been repeated over and over. Do you know what that word is in this passage? It starts with the letter K. No, K-N-O-W. And, and so that, I think, is a clue in terms of understanding who we are as God's people. And we see here that, 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 that really John is, is getting at really the, uh, this issue of needing to have real faith. And it's been mentioned in the, in the prayer that, that we live in a difficult culture today. You, all you have to do, do is look at the news and you see that everything is really like upside down. Isn't it? Everything is upside down. What you think would be normal is not normal anymore. It's just flip-flop. And everything that we see in our lives from the last 18 months of COVID is that, that, that it's all messed up. And every, all the values are, are, are so confusing. And, and as a Christian, how are we going to hold true to our faith? And so John is, is, is addressing this, that, that he's, he, he wants us to know really, that we need real faith, but how do you get that kind of faith? How do you get that kind of faith? It's, and keeping in mind that faith is not, it's not as just a spousal of a bunch of propositions. 
You know, uh, I, 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 you know, when I grew up in, in, uh, in the church, I, I, I was uh, 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 told I need to memorize scripture. And, and you can memorize scripture, and that certainly comes in handy, but until it, it, it really penetrates, really, or moves down from the 18 inches, in a sense, from your head to your heart, then what good is it? Does that make sense to you? That, that we, we, we were, we're probably very good at party games where you had Bible trivia. And we can know Bible trivia, know the, the information. Uh, it's really sad that when you go watch you know, the TV show like Jeopardy, when they get the category of, of the Bible, they, they, they even have problems with those questions. You know, it's really sad. And, and these are non-believers. But even believers probably don't really know even basic facts. But even if you know the basic facts, has they, have they penetrated your heart? Have they saturated your life so that people see really real faith, that there's something different about your life? And so we see here that uh, John gives three evidences of true faith, and they can be found in this passage from verses 13 to 21. And we see here that he writes these things to you, and keep in mind, his audience is a, is, is, is a, a group of believers. And we see here that the uh, that, uh, that will believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. There is that word know, K-N-O-W. And, and, there, and then the next verse, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. We need to have confidence in our lives, not confidence in ourselves, because it, it's really the idea that, that you didn't make yourself a Christian. See, salvation is not obtained by good works. It is not by, by doing this or that. And I've, I've, I've done uh, studies, I've done workshops on, on different isms and different cults. And the one thing they have in common is that somehow if you could just do something to please God, that is called religion. That's called religion. But Christianity is so different, radically different from anything else, right? Because Christianity involves relationship. It's a relationship that we could never start on our own. Why? Because we're sinners. I, you know, I hate to tell you this, but it, the fact is we are sinners. I mean, you want me to give a, a classic case of, of, of sinning evident in, in our lives? Years ago, I used to live in California, and I used to live in the Bay Area one time. And, uh, and I was at a person's home, and, uh, and they were celebrating uh, the kid's birthday party there. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, one of the kids was told he needed to share his toy with his cousin. Now, he grudgingly kind of gave this dirty look, first of all, to his mother, you know, and then grudgingly gave his gift or his, his toy to his cousin. But he gave it a little post-it note with that. You know what he did? He spat on his cousin, okay? To me, that tells me that there's... There is real sin starting from the early ages on up, okay? It's penetrated our lives. And so we see that there's this measure of selfishness, selfish, uh, and, and, and certainly we can identify as adults, it's not just selfishness, but pride. And, uh, and it's really the idea for many people today, it's the idea they don't want to believe in Christ because they don't want to, 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 to believe in somebody who knows how to tell, how, how to run their lives better than they can. And they think they can run their lives. And what usually happens, they usually run their lives into the ground. 
not knowing that there was a loving creator who loved them so much that he not only just created them in their image, but he lovingly died on the cross for them. And so we see that, that, that true faith here in verse, uh, verses, well, actually particularly in uh, going to verse 13, true faith provides confidence. True faith provides confidence. We can have confidence, not in ourselves, but in the power of God who lies within us and the spirit of God who dwells within us. And, 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 and that's where our confidence is, is in, that I am a Christian. Matter of fact, when I, when I shared my story to you, that it, it, I eventually realized my identity is found in Christ. My identity is found in Christ. It's not found even in my spiritual gifts or abilities or what have you, but it's found in Christ. It's in, in the fact that I have a relationship with Christ, Christ loved me. He loved me to such an extent that I just died from the cross for my sins, but he also has dwelt within me in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that, that that's where our confidence lies. We need to have more believers today in the church to have confidence in who their Savior and Lord is. And so we see that, that that's the idea of knowing. You know, you know what confidence, how confidence can be played out in a very practical way? Kathy and I uh, uh, made one thing. We moved to, uh, uh, from Bergen County to Monmouth County in 2012. And, uh, and uh, one of the things we, we did, we, we made an investment. Uh, now, we know that there are a lot of storms and hurricanes, particularly down there, you know, getting hit. And uh, so we decided, unlike our neighbors, uh, we're the only ones in our neighborhood that has a full house generator a full house generator, okay? Now, uh, when the, uh, unfortunately, we didn't get in time for Sandy, okay? But we did, we did get one. And so we have had the power kick in when the power goes out temporarily for about a minute or two. Whereas our neighbors uh, uh, don't have that. Um, there was always this fear that I have that they're going to get jealous and try to rip off our, our generator, you know, or, or jump our, have jumper cables and start jumping our, our generator. But the whole idea is that our confidence is knowing that our power will be restored when we have a storm. When we go through storms of life, where's your power source? Who is the one that you can count on? Even when we go through those hills and valleys where we go through our struggles. And some of you have gone through struggles with COVID, with the health issues, with uh, this or that. Certainly I did. Years ago, I was, uh, when I was a youth pastor, I discovered that I had diabetes, okay? I was working in a church in Houston, Texas at that time, and it was discovered that I had diabetes, and it was, it was bad. I mean, if you want to talk about bad, that my, my uh, and it was, uh, it, I thought I had the flu, and I kept drinking these uh, fruit juices. Bad mistake, bad mistake. Now, this is from somebody who I have a degree in pre-med <laughs> biology, okay? That's my degree, a bachelor's degree. And you would think I would know better. But I started bringing fruit juices to try to self-treat myself. And what happened was my blood sugar shot up to like 700. Do you know that that's totally out of the range for a, a normal person, especially a diabetic? It's like 90 to 140. So, so I was laid up in the hospital, and, and, uh, and it was there that I realized that I need to trust God. 
in the midst of all this, I mean, I had lived a, I thought, pretty healthy life, but maybe it, I, I discovered later that I probably inherited my diabetes from you know, my, uh, members of my family, that, uh, that, that I needed to trust God. And I trust God even when I don't have all the questions answered that are going through my mind. I can still trust God. Why? It's because of what Jesus Christ has done. And I can trust him. He's worthy of that trust. He's worthy of that confidence that, that we can have. That's what a true faith is. It provides confidence. But notice in verses 14 to 17, he talks about, and you might find this kind of strange, from 14 to 17, he says, uh, the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he, he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. In other words, true faith not just provides confidence, but it promotes prayer promotes prayer. It drives us to pray. We need to realize in, the, in our t- church today that probably the greatest indicator of the health of a church, and I've pastored for over 20 years in different churches. I've pastored in California, Texas, uh, Chicago, New York City, and New Jersey, is that, that there's one thing in common with all these churches. is the is how Really, the, uh, the health of a church is indicated by how many people show up at prayer meetings. Right? The health of a church is indicated by how many people show up at a prayer meeting. And if it's not a prayer meeting, how many people really pray on a day-to-day basis? See, this is the whole idea of that true faith drives you to. It promotes prayer. That it, 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 it's the idea that I go to God and just, not just come up with them to the shopping list of prayer requests, but more than that, that prayer is an opportunity to just connect with God. It's just to connect with God. That's why in Psalm, the book of Psalms, it says to be still and to know that he is God. And to know that just to, and then that's what I do in my devotions. I do the, this called the daily office. I mean, some of you might have seen this. And the whole idea is that you just spend some moments in just being silent quiet. You know, I tend to have stuff running through my head. You know, this or that, I've got to, got to do this this day and, and so forth. But just to recognize when I'm in the presence of God, I need to recognize, I need to soak him in. I need to, to soak that up to be able to be, to, to let him envelop me, to, to dwell in his presence, and to let, to let him just minister to me and to speak to me. And so, True faith promotes prayer. And prayer is, is such a crucial part of a living faith. What's your prayer life? What is your prayer life? Do you just pray, not just with the solitude, but just praying in such a way that, that God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. You, know, you are my Lord, my Savior, and with each day that I come to you, and I just want to just be there for you and to just let you work in and through me. That's what prayer does. See, we've got this whole idea that prayer is just presenting that grocery shopping list, which is great. That's the, the idea of petitions. That's in Philippians uh, chapter 4. But it also says in the Bible that prayer is the opportunity to just be able to develop an intimacy with God, to develop that. And I think as a leader, I need that. 
don't know about you, but I need that to, to, to do that. I can't run, I can't really do ministry really on, on vapors, on fumes. I've got to be able to draw strength from God's presence in my life. And so we see that, that that's what a healthy and growing faith does. It, it leads to a thriving prayer life. And, and keeping in mind certain things about prayer. One is we need to pray according to God's will. It's not so much, you know, uh, my, it's, like, uh, uh, it's not like, a, uh, you know, praying in such a way that, uh, that your will be done, but instead God's will be done. It's sort of like the idea of one girl that I, I remember, a college girl that was in our church, and she said, yeah, I'll be glad to follow Jesus as long as he's, as long as he's following my timetable, my schedule. You see a problem with that? See, it's according to my agenda. And so we see that, that, that we are to pray according to God's will. That's why it says in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, not my kingdom. And unfortunately, in many churches today, churches are trying to build their own kingdoms. People within those churches are trying to build their own kingdoms. But instead, we need to recognize it's got to be God's kingdom that's going to be built. And so we see that, that uh, we need to, to let his will be done and to just be the, uh, the conduit of, of God's will in our lives. But that, that kind of, kind of mindset when we go into prayer is to, to, to let him uh, dominate. Notice also that another aspect of prayer is that, uh, that uh, we need to, to, to recognize that here in this passage that uh, th- there's this the idea in verse 16 and following, this idea of repentance. And, and this, is, this is the kind of neat thing here, is that you and I, as believers in Christ, in, in, in verse 16 it says that, that, that not only we are responsible for our own you know, uh, sinfulness and to, 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 to repent of our sins, but that as Christians, that we are part of a community. That we are part of a community. You see, it's not a matter of that the Christian faith is a personal, private thing. It's the idea that you've gotten into a bigger and better thing than yourself. The idea is that, that you're part of an organism. You're part of the life of the body of Christ. And that we are brothers and sisters together. Uh, one of the things that's really neat about uh, Kathy and I working at Liquid Church is that it's a multi-ethnic church. And, and to be very honest, as you can tell from my experience, I'm not... I'm more of a multi-ethnic guy, okay? I, I, I just, I, I'm the kind of person that, that sees people as people. I don't see them and classify them in race, category, this kind of thing, unlike today's culture. And so we see that, that that's what the church is. The church is made up of people from all different walks of life and that, that, uh, and that, that we are to, uh, to really come together as a community, and, and to, to, to welcome people who come into the doors, to, to welcome each other, to build each other up. I think what's really great about the, uh, uh, a note about the prayer earlier is that you and I, you and I are missionaries. You and I are missionaries. We have, unfortunately, in churches today, designated missions as out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Out there. Foreign missions. Oh, that's out there. You know, well, and certainly we should support our missionaries that go out there. Certainly, you know, Kathy's sister and brother-in-law are missionaries. 
They were visiting us for the weekend right now. They're uh, on furlough from, uh, from uh, working in Senegal, West Africa. But the whole idea is that missions is something that we ought to be involved in, right? Isn't really the Great Commission all about that? Come mission, missioning together, that we are to, 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 to recognize that every person that God has placed in your life is a divine appointment. Every person in your life, whether it's your friends, family, neighbors, people you come across in the supermarket, the store, you rub shoulders with, these are people for whom Christ died for. And you have been maybe strategically placed in their life to be Jesus to them. You see, that's why, that's why the, the saying goes true. This one theologian said that we gather, we gather on Sundays in order to scatter. We gather in order to scatter. See, we come to church on Sundays certainly to have worship, and have a great time, to share experiences, but that is supposed to be a, an opportunity to share about what God has been doing in your life the past week and then to get re-energized by hearing other people's stories and encouragement in such a way that when we go out on Monday or even on Sundays after church, we go out and represent Jesus to the, a, a world that desperately needs to know him. And that is, that's, that's what our mission is. Okay, and, 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 and we need to have more churches, more believers that are missional, that, that believe that they are sent, that, that, that I am who I am because of what Christ has sent me to do, and I'm to go out because I want people to join us. I want more people to do that. That's why Jesus is waiting as long as he can to come back because he wants to see as many people come to know him as possible. And we have the not just the responsibility, but I believe the privilege and honor to represent him, to tell him about Jesus Christ. We're not here to convert people. The Holy Spirit does that. But we have been given the privilege and honor to share the message of Jesus Christ. And when I've done the baptismal classes for, for people, especially young people, they say, you know, what can I do? And I say, well, how about just sharing your testimony? Nobody can take that away from you. You don't have to have the you know, your systematic theology all, all set in stone kind of thing, but you can at least share how you came to know Jesus Christ, to share your story uh, with a, and hear, particularly hear another person's story, interact the two together, and, and, and intertwine that with God's story. Does that make sense to you? That's why we're here. That's why we're the church. The church is not just to, to, to worship together, but it's to, to, be, to, to really be motivated to go back out into what I would call the real world and to tell people about who Jesus is. And, and that's, that's really the love of Christ. First John, in, earlier in 1 John, the letter, John says, how can you love God whom you can't see and you have problems loving people who you can see? Just think about that. Think about five people you know who are hard to love. Five people who are hard to love. Don't turn around and look at them. Okay? Please, don't, don't do that. Don't eyeball them, okay? But, but the whole idea is that these are people that we're called to love. We're called to love. To love in such a way that we reflect the heart, the character of Jesus Christ. So that's what prayer is. And so 
prayer is something that as a friend of mine years ago, Dr. Jim Conway, said, to know God's will, you must be in the center of his will. To know God's will, you must be in the center of his will. That you seek to, to love God in such a way that you want to always be the, to be the recipient of his will and to be there to receive it. Finally, in verses 18 to 21, that we see that, that John here talks about, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Let me just backtrack a little bit, because he said in that earlier passage that, that we have responsibility to ourselves in terms of, uh, of repentance, but we also have the opportunity to intercede on behalf of people and to encourage people who you see are, are sinning. See, we've got a responsibility spiritually toward one another, that our lives are not just meant to live for, for ourselves, but that as part of that idea of a community, that, that we are responsible, accountable to one another. And if, if someone is messing up in their lives, who better to intercede, to pray for them, to, to kind of encourage them, to, to be there for them when they need that. There have been many times in, in my experience in counseling that, that maybe it's just the opportunity just to be there for people. I remember a, a kid years ago when I was in California that, uh, that uh, uh, he was a high school kid. He was a valedictorian, valedictorian of his school. And his parents really wanted him to go to, like, Cal or Stanford. And... and, and, and and he felt this awesome pressure. I don't know, have you ever experienced that? You know, some kids who've experienced the pressure of having to achieve certain uh, educational levels. And he got to the point where he was thinking about committing suicide. He was thinking about committing suicide. So uh, me, as one of the counselors, and another guy who's a counselor, we decided to, to work together and to encourage him, to encourage him and, and to to help him to, to, to be restored. See, that's a responsibility that we have, not just as youth group leaders, but as part of the, the body of Christ. And so the, and we, we did this. We talked to him. We encouraged him. Uh, I got together. He was on the tennis team, so I played tennis with him. And my tennis is not that great, okay? But I played with him. Got my head beaten enough times for playing tennis, okay? Although, I have to admit, I, I could have been number three singles in college, okay? But he was even a lot better than I was. And, and so we had times that we just, just uh, played and we talked. And just to be there for him. I didn't, I didn't even preach to him a whole lot. I just, just, you know, how are you doing and so forth. And, and, and he appreciated that. And so that's what, what this passage is talking about. If someone is in sin, you be there for them. And to, to be that agent, agent of righteousness to them and, and to encourage them. That's part of what our lives together as the body of Christ is. That uh, we're not living individual lives, but we're living as a corporate body. And so we see that, that true faith in verses 18 and 21 produces understanding. And it's, it's the idea that, that we understand, it says, particularly in verse 19, we know that we are from God. The word know is not an intellectual know, as I said before. It is a deep experiential know. I know personally Deep down, my gut feeling, deep down in my bosom, that I know that I am, in this passage, I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. And we'll see that, 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 
that, uh, that, that we live in a world that is, is anti-Christ, in a sense. That, they're, that they're, they, they don't know Jesus Christ. And so they, their antagonism is, is toward us. And so we see that we are, at the same time, we have responsibility to the world. You see, we are not just, we, we are not just saved from the world, but we are saved for the world. Does that make sense to you? We are saved not just from the world because we are now a totally new people that's different, radically different from the world around us, but at the same time that we are to, to be in the world and to, to be engaging the world and to engage that for Jesus Christ. And so we see that that produces an understanding of knowing who we are, that we are children of God, that, that, that uh, yeah, we, have, we are in a spiritual warfare. And you can, you know, all you have to do is look at the news to, t- to, t- to tell you that we are in spiritual warfare. There are spiritual forces that are at work that are, that are trying to basically get Christians, as it says in the C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, just get you to compromise your faith. Satan will be happy just to compromise your faith. And so we see that, 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 that uh, here in this passage that, that there is this recognition of the power of the evil one. The evil one is a very real person. He's not a figment of my imagination. He's not some sort of psychological crutch. But he is real, and he is a deceiver. He is, he's a liar. He is trying to get you to, to, to turn away from the faith, at the very least, to be soured on it. And so we see that, that uh, in verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, not the one who is false, but Satan and, and all his cohorts. And we are in him who is true, in his, his, his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That's the one we should be living for. And that should be reflected in our lives. And then finally, in the closing here, he says, little children, you children of God, keep away from idols. In other words, you're in spiritual warfare, and it's very tempting to follow idols, to follow things that will just take your, your eyes off of God. Maybe even try to put it on yourself or on the world around you. That's what true faith is. It produces an understanding of who we are, that we are in Christ if we put our faith in him. We need to have more Christians who are like that. We don't need to have Christians who, who, are, who are kind of phony, you know, uh, who, are, uh, who uh, kind of blend in with the wallpaper kind of thing, you know, the walls and the, the scenery. Uh, I want to end with this little illustration. Maybe you've heard this one, but it bears repeating again. There was a well-known world leader, political leader, you might remember his name, Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi. He was the one that led the independence movement in India. And uh, he was enamored. I don't know if you know this. He was enamored with Christ. He was enamored with, with Christ's teachings, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. But, you know, there was one thing that prevented him from becoming a Christian. Do you know what that is? Christian. Like, why is it, to put in today's parlance, why is it that Christians' lives don't jive with what, they're, what they, they say they are? We need to have people, more people who practice what they preach. People who, who, will, who, will, 
who will, who will, you can see it in their lives, you can see it in their faces, you can see it in their values, their behavior, their speech, their conduct, that, that they are reflective of the life of Christ. We need to have more people in churches today who reflect that. To reflect that. I want to challenge you this morning. Are you seriously following Jesus Christ? Are you following him? Because the idea of following Christ is someone who's literally hanging on the very coattails of Jesus. That you're walking, you're seeking to walk in step, as it says in scripture, to keep in step with the spirit. You're following in step with him. Because he is my light. He is my all. He is the one that, that reflects light and love. And I want to emulate him. I want to emulate him in all that I do. And that's my driving lifelong pursuit and passion to want to know Christ to be like him. You see, the question I, I've, uh, that I get asked a lot is, how do you grow as a Christian? How do you grow as a Christian? Well, there's no magic formula, but to kind of summarize it, the way to love, to, 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 to grow as a Christian is to appreciate more and more what the gospel is all about. Does that make sense to you? To appreciate more and more how much God has really loved you. That's a lifelong pursuit. To know the height, as Paul says in his prayer in Ephesians 3, to know the height, the depth, the width, the love, the extent of Christ's love. That should be our lifelong passion. To want to know, understand more and more his love for me and to let that continue to transform my life. Because the, the word that summarizes a Christian's life is the T word, transformation. We are continuing to be changed into the image of Christ and to be more like him. That is our lifelong pursuit. That was, but that if I leave it with anything, if you forget everything I've said, just keep that in mind. Are you pursuing Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we recognize and we certainly are thankful and grateful for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I'll, I'll never know or understand how much you really loved me. I mean, it, it just boggles my mind to, 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 to try to come to grips with how much you really loved me, that you would die for sinners like me. Father, we thank you that not only did you die for us to and to redeem us, but you actually incorporated us into your family. You've adopted us into your family. You made us children of yours with all the, the inheritance and blessings that, uh, that, that uh, you have freely lavished on us. And so, Father, I pray that in response to that, as you gave your life for us, that we could do nothing less than to give our lives back to you. And nothing else would do. It will be all in and we'll go all out for you. We thank you in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.
Good morning. morning. Is it just me, or does everybody really look rested today? (laughs) As I was thinking about our time around the Lord's table this morning, I spent some time reading in 1 John chapter 5, trying to glean some truth out of uh, what Pastor Fun was going to be saying and uh, how to apply it to our time around the Lord's table. But it's interesting because as I was reading and I was thinking this morning and as I was listening, what more appropriate person to have a a message on this morning than from the Apostle John? The Apostle who was the one that was loved, the one that in his gospel wrote more content about the last hours in the upper room with Jesus before his crucifixion. And it, well, his arrest and crucifixion, and eventually his death and bar- uh, resurrection. I guess I got that all backwards, but you know what I mean. But in 1 John 1, it says, That which we have heard from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. If the women, when they got to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, had found the stone still there and the Roman guards still in place, we would not be here this morning around this table. But when they got there, it was a different situation, wasn't it? The stone was rolled away. There was an angel, and I love this. He said, he's not here, he's risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And this was not something that happened, you know, sometimes we go to cemeteries 20 or 30 years after we have a funeral and we look for the graveside and we're not quite sure we can find it. This was two days or three days after the burial. And they were there. They knew he was supposed to be in there. The grave clothes, the linen clothes were still there, but Jesus was not there. And that's why we are here today, because as it says in front of us, we do this in remembrance of him. And that's what he had said to the disciples in the upper room. As he was doing the eating and the drinking together, he was communing with them. And it's also interesting that the apostle Paul is the one who we kind of go to when we talk about communion. And the Apostle Paul was writing to a very interesting bunch of believers in Corinth, wasn't he? These were a bunch of people that were bickering, were fighting, they had issues, and so forth and so on. And in the chapters leading up to uh, chapter 11, where he talks about um, the, the bread and the cup, he's talking about the fact that you guys, you eat and you drink just for yourselves. You need to be doing this as a body. And that's what happened back in, uh, in the book of Acts when we read that, uh, you know, the people were getting together. They were excited. These were the people that had seen the resurrected Lord. And they were excited about getting together for fellowship and for, for dinner. And they, they gave stuff away. They had, they had concerns. They were being Christ-like, like the pastor mentioned this morning. You know, are, are we as Christians, are we turning people away from Christianity? Or are we the only Jesus that someone might see? And we need to really be the Jesus 
that someone sees. So I just wanted to share this morning as we go to 1 Corinthians, a couple things. First of all, the table here is, is not a denominational thing. As we, as we read earlier in 1 John 5.13, I write these things. I'll read up here so I don't get so much feedback. I'm sorry about this, Mike. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And as pastor said, we can know this. It's not a head knowledge, it's a heart knowledge. This is something we can take home. This is something we can count on. This is something we can live for day to day. And that's what should be motivating us. And so as, as, as we do this, we, we know that we have eternal life. And this is the knowledge that we have this morning as we gather around the table. The Apostle Paul also was talking about, as he, a little bit further on, whoever eats or the bread or drinks the cup unworthy in an unworthy manner is guilty of sin. So I just wanted to share with you this morning that this table is for believers. If you've accepted Jesus, if he is the Lord of your life, if he's the Savior and you know that, then you're welcome to attend it, to, to participate. It's not, it's not a denomination thing. But if there's any curiosity or concern or uh, you're not quite sure if Jesus is the Lord of your life, I would just ask lovingly to let the elements pass. And uh, if you have a question about what it means to really be a believer, we'd be more than happy to share that with you a little bit later. But the Apostle Paul, he said, for I received from the Lord that which I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, it's kind of interesting, I, I always get stuck on that, the night he was betrayed, there was so much other stuff going on that night, but he identifies it as the night that he was betrayed. Why was that? It's kind of interesting. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know, introspectively, how often do I betray Jesus? How often do I deny Christ? Like Peter, you know, said, oh, I'll stick with you forever. And Jesus, Peter, before the sun comes up, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. And when Peter heard the rooster the third time, he wept. We need to have this attitude that, you know, the night that he was betrayed, let's not betray him. Let's be true to him. But he said he took the bread, and we'd given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'd like to invite the men to come forward. And if you all can uh, just hold on to the elements until everybody has received them, and then we'll partake of them together.
Before we partake, let's just ask the Lord to bless this bread to us. Heavenly Father, we know that this, this bread is symbolic of your body being broken for us. But Lord, it's so easy to forget things. We, we think about birthdays, we think about anniversaries, we think about people's passing. There are so many things in our lives that after a certain amount of time, we might forget what day it is and so forth. But Lord, the important thing is we remember the act. We remember the special time. And this morning, Lord, we just remember that special day when you gave your life for us to pay the payment for our sins. Father, we just pray that you would bless this part of the uh, service to you. And as we eat of the bread together, that you would just bless it. We ask these things in your name. Amen. And so this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jerry. goes on in the same way after supper he took the cup let's pass the cup around
Scripture tells us that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cup. We thank you for your shed blood. That uh, blood is the, the covering for our sins. And Father, the, the, uh, the Passover lamb was what you became for us. We just pray that as we participate in this, uh, your supper, that we would be mindful of all these things, as you said, to remember these uh, until you come again. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's drink together. Scripture also tells us that um, after they had the, the Last Supper, they went out and they sung a hymn. We're going to be singing a hymn, but before we do, uh, we have a practice here at Calvary that um, we take up a benevolence offering once a month, and that goes to folks that are in need, and uh, so I invite the gentleman to come for that as well. Thank you. don't know if we'll be singing a hymn, but we will definitely be responding in song. If you were like me, you were singing that last hymn that Becky was playing as she was playing it. So thank you, Becky, for doing that. Um, let's stand together as we respond. Pastor Fun, we thank you for the reminder that we need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that this week as we go forward, if we do nothing else, that we resolve to have a relationship with Jesus this week and to know him.
we ask that you would be reigning in our life, that we would know you better and better every day. Well, before uh, we finish this morning, let me just go over a few quick announcements. I want to remind you that Operation Christmas Child Packing Party is going to be next Sunday. Um, everybody is welcome, so plan to stay with us after church for lunch and help us pack these boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Um, there's more information in news and notes. Um, fall church cleanup is coming up on November 20th, uh, 8 a.m. to noon. It's just a day for all of us to get together and to work on the facility. Um, you can talk to Dave Roosh for more information. And then I just want to say um, we are still uh, tentatively planning a Christmas concert to bless our congregation. Um, and so that would take place on Friday, December 17th. It's the week before Christmas Eve. Um, and I am inviting you guys, if there is something that you would like to perform in that concert to bless um, your fellow members here, would you come and see me or email me uh, at Ramey at Welcome to Calvary before November 14th. I've extended the date to the end of that Sunday, so we had another week to talk about it. But um, if we have enough interest and can put something together, we would love to do that. So don't be shy. Reach out to me. And uh, we will have a time where we listen to everything and make sure everything's ready to go. But we, I really want to encourage you um, to do that as well. So at this point, I'll ask uh, to come up and do our benediction. Thank you so much. And let's close together. As we depart from here, may the love of our Heavenly Father May the heart and character of Jesus Christ, his son, and may the dwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.